Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Baltimore, 2-0. Yet another win. Lamar's never going to lose. He's just never going to lose. And this team's going 16-0. I'm Antonio Barbera with bold prophecies here on Pod Like a Raven. And I'm joined, hopefully by some as excited as I am, co-hosts on either coast starting on the east coast tim horsey tim you got a ravens hat so must be feeling pretty good about this team i was gonna say baltimore ravens beat up on the houston texans which we'll get to the weather is starting to turn i was outside earlier today before we recorded this and you get that crisp air it's not as cold as i'd like it to be yet still in like the high 60s but we're getting there i'm wearing long sleeves i'm wearing a ravens beanie in the apartment i'm feeling great my friend and of course i'm talking to you guys so how could I not be in a good mood? And joining us from the West Coast, Gardner Minshew the sec. I'm sorry, no. It's just the facial hair, the long hair, don't care, and the head... You're looking great, but it's Jace Evans on the West Coast. Sorry, Jace, how are you doing over there? Oh, I'm doing great, Antonio. The Ravens are 2-0. Two, and oh, uh, two um, you know, I'd say uh, easy wins uh, relative to the history of this franchise. So, 
I, it's hard to be in a better place. Uh, when your football team's good, it makes the fall uh, a lot more enjoyable, I'd say. So, uh, yeah, just uh, ready to get uh, breaking down another Ravens victory. We've been doing that a lot lately uh, on this program, which is a fun thing. So, yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> Ravens winners on the road against the Houston Texans, 33-16. to I'm only going to brag about this like 12 times this episode. But last week, you go to the tape, I said 20-point win for the Ravens. That was my, my bold statement of the, of the episode. Only a 17-point win, but feeling pretty good about this team overall. So we're going to break down this game to start, then get into some other AFC North chatter, rest of the NFL, and then some, some gambling picks as well. But talking about this game first, the start, not quite what we would have hoped, not quite what we would have expected with the Ravens passing the ball maybe on early downs or more plays than we than we thought we were hoping they were going to establish the run early first few drives you know Lamar maybe looking like he's running for his life on a little bit of those plays I'm going to let my co-host talk about the offensive line play especially early um and then the Ravens taking a three-point lead on a field goal and this is there's a few ways to win in the NFL one is execute and score points, and the other is to hold the fort and just wait for the other team to make mistakes. And when you're playing against a Bill O'Brien team, sometimes those mistakes come at just the perfect moment. <laughs> I'm going to turn to you guys on your thoughts on this, but first mistake of the game for Houston, going for it on fourth and one from their own 34-yard line. Tim, analytics are key these days, but your thoughts on going for it that deep in Houston's own territory. It's funny because you almost sound like a hypocrite as a Ravens fan if you're blatantly saying this is a bad move based on how aggressive uh, the Ravens are nowadays, Um, especially, you know, starting last season and having the guy that they do under center and having the trust in him. But yeah, it was a weird move, and it was a play <laughs> that they had kind of run before, too. Uh, credit to a guy that I want to bring up a little bit. Well, two guys I want to bring up. First of all, Patrick Queen on the coverage, recognizing the play, getting out into the flat quickly, which I thought was great. And Joker, Deshaun Elliott, making a nice play, creating pressure, something that we're going to talk about a lot. Uh, but, yeah, that one in that time of the game, it's only 3 nothing. The Ravens had just come off a seven-minute drive where they only got three points out of it. Um, felt like you didn't really need to do that there, but maybe, and it's something that will kind of be a theme throughout this show, if you remember our matchup last year with next, week, next week's opponent, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Ravens were so aggressive because they were so worried about the Chiefs just blowing that game open and they didn't want to have Mahomes on the field. Boy, how times have changed, and maybe that's what went, in, what went into the process for Bill O'Brien, but yeah, overall, I mean, a confusing decision. And the, the part that I, you know, if I'm a Houston fan that I hate is that, as you said, Tim, they basically ran the same play on third and one that they ran on fourth and one, which they tried to bootleg away from the, you know, pass the run attempt on a play action, but if your defense has just seen that play and is sort of set to, like, maintain responsibilities, and then you run the same exact fake again, I I don't know. I just thought it was such a bad call. And shocker, you give the Ravens a short (laughs) field, and they immediately turn that into a touchdown, and suddenly it's 10-0, and the Ravens are rolling. I mean, at that point, I'm pretty comfortable with the Ravens' game plan when you just essentially been spotted a a double-digit lead. Texans do go back and 
have a nice sustained drive uh, and make the game 10-7. to Ravens then tack on a field goal. And then the second big sort of mistake that Houston makes, and that's the Ravens turning offense, or I should say turning defense into points with the Humphrey punch-out, which we've talked about on this show plenty of times, and then the LJ Fort pickup and return for a score. Uh, so Jace... Thoughts on uh, at the, making the game twenty to seven. By the way, so thoughts on on the Ravens at this point and that that play by uh, by Humphrey and Fort. Yeah, it, it's a nice feeling. Um, I think because at this point I was not really concerned that the Ravens were ever going to lose the game once they hit twenty to seven. Like even though the run had, and we'll get more into this in a bit, but even though the run game had kind of been inconsistent to that point, you're just like a Lamar Jackson team is just not like as good as he's been playing this last season, the early part of this season, they're just not going to blow a 13 point lead. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Like they're not going to consistently get the stops. So um, I thought that Humphrey play was huge. I mean, especially like you said, like uh, just right after, you know, Ravens extend the lead with another decent drive I mean, literally first play, and you get seven more. That's a 10-point swing in literally, like, 20 seconds. Uh, by that point, I yeah, I pretty much thought the game was over. I wasn't fully ready to put a bow on it, but, uh, you know, different to a lot of old Ravens teams of old, I uh, don't live in constant fear, I think, of the third quarter lull of them just blowing games. Uh, so I was pretty confident by this point, and it, I mean... Just to circle back to the play, Marlon Humphrey, we know we've seen this so many times, again, probably most prominently against uh, Juju Smith-Schuster in that Pittsburgh game to pretty much single-handedly uh, at least prevent a loss in that one. <laughs> um, so to for him to, like, it's becoming kind of a calling card for him, almost a peanut punch, just like Charles Tillman kind of thing. He's got this this punch in his back pocket when he gets, you know, beat on plays and can just bust it out. So it was great to just see, you know, one of the Ravens' best players making a play that essentially sealed the game really still in the early going. The next possession, at this point, 20-7, to maybe Deshaun Watson trying to force the issue a little bit, and Marcus Peters with an unbelievable interception – I'm going to fast forward a little bit, and then we'll get into some things that we liked. This is the night, maybe a nice moment to, to pivot to things that you guys liked and didn't like, but Peter's interception at that point, you know, that sort of stopped another Houston drive. Um, second half, Ravens end up turning to the running game uh, a little bit more than they had, or at least had more success in the second half than the first half. Ends up being a back-and-forth scoring affair, but at that point with that, you know, 13-point lead, there was no catch in the Ravens. They score a little back and forth scoring in the play. The game ends up 33-16. So I'm going to turn to you guys now. Things that you liked, uh, taking it maybe from the Marcus Peters play. Yeah, I'm, let's go right there. Because Marcus Peters a guy who we kind of, and I know Antonio and I especially are on the, uh, are we going to have a regression <laughs> year a little bit with Marcus Peters? That is one of the smartest football plays I have ever seen from somebody. The the wide receiver goes out in the flat, the man that Marcus Peters is supposed to have, and the dude just wants the freaking ball all the time. He reminds you of a guy who played deep safety for this team for a long time. Of I play defense, but I want the ball at all costs. He breaks off of that flat route and makes the, the whole defensive backs don't have hands thing. That's why they play defense. I mean, throw that out out in the backyard because this 
pick was incredible. An incredible hands from Marcus Peters. And for me, my first big point here, and my second big point is probably the thing that I love the most, and we'll get into old Project Pat in a second. But to have defensive playmakers again, this comes from Jameson Hensley at ESPN. He wrote a piece up basically talking about how the defense helped really carry this win, especially when you didn't have your, now I say vintage, Lamar Jackson performance. Here's a couple (laughs) stats for you. The Ravens have forced a turnover in 15 consecutive games. 15. That's almost an entire season, which is also the longest current active streak in the league. Yeah, I bet it is. And they have now scored (laughs) seven defensive touchdowns in their past 12 games. You can talk about the offense all you want. And maybe the fact that you rely so much on the offense and you're comfortable with the offense, it allows Wink Martindale and these players to take a couple more risks, which you know, in turn have led to a lot of turnovers. But on that side of the ball, and we'll talk about some of the stuff that uh, we struggled with on that end, and I, I we have a few thoughts, of course. To have a, a team that, having a great stout defense is great, but we had it for a couple years here in Baltimore where they just weren't getting the turnovers. That's what changes games. You look at the turnover battle in any single game, and almost 90% of the time, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but it's like 85 to 90% of the time, You win the turnover battle, you win the football game. And to have guys that are hungry for the ball, especially those two corners, uh, for me, you know, that is probably number one with a bullet, the biggest takeaway after kind of watching and then stewing on this game a little bit. For for me, I think, and that uh, Peter's play was unbelievable, you know. uh, Unbelievable! It's it's funny, thanks to the, uh, you know, the uh, streaming... Uh, era we live in uh we we were texting during the game but we were all just slightly off uh in terms of how live we were so tim was actually slightly ahead of me i was uh watching on sunday ticket i have here and uh his feed was slightly ahead and he just texted like oh my god like what a play basically and you know with marcus peters that can go either way like we've said <laughs> or like oh my god i think was what you texted and uh, like yeah, with him, you're like, I was like, well, he's either getting beat or had an incredible pick. And this was, this is like why you pay a guy like Marcus Peters what he's getting paid. Because that was just an unbelievable interception. One of the best I think we've seen, certainly seen recently. Just lay, laying full out, getting it. But um, I think for me, the biggest positive of this game uh, was getting the running game going in the second half. Uh, just some... You know, it wasn't great in week one, if we're being honest, in terms of at least what we've come to expect. Obviously, the Ravens uh, set the all-time rushing record last year, so we literally saw a rushing offense that had never been eclipsed in the NFL last year. So maybe that's a lot outlier a little bit, a little falling back to earth. But to get going in the second half, to really just put this game away, like I said, after the Fort fumble... Uh, return. I didn't really think the Ravens were ever in danger, so it's of losing the game. But it's nice to just remove all doubt, uh, just bleed the clock, and they did that by running the ball. They had some incredible, incredible numbers. They rushed for 186 yards in the second half yesterday. Uh, they held the ball for nine minutes and 41 seconds in the fourth quarter. Um, I re- they uh, put forth the most rushing yards buy a team in a fourth quarter in three years in the NFL. And it really, they started while the fourth quarter numbers were impressive. It started right at the second half, 14 play drive that took eight thirty six 
and ended in a field goal to start the second half. You know, when you already enter halftime with a 10 point lead and then bleed eight minutes off, that's going to go a long way to winning. So I was just so impressed with the second half, uh, uh, especially, and we'll get into this as a negative, I'm sure, in a half a second, because the offensive line didn't have the greatest day overall, so that they, the fact that they were able to run the ball uh, with authority um, was really just a promising sign uh, when we hadn't seen it so far this year. It is it is promising. They kind of have had, they, they had like a backwards offensive game on Sunday. <laughs> the, the first half was... Let's open up with a bunch of, you know, normally the old school football is you, you pound it, you pound it, you pound it, you soften that defense up, and then by the fourth quarter, that's when you get the big gains. But in the meantime, you may spend two or three quarters getting three yards per rush on the ground. But So the, the new, new school, new Ravens approach is we're going to throw it early in the game. We're going to get some chunk plays. We're hopefully not going to get Lamar Jackson killed because his offensive line struggled against some dominant pass rushers for the Texans. But then, you know, there wasn't a ton of success offensively in the first half, but it's I, I suppose it worked at least in opening up that, that Texans defense because in the second half, the holes were there. The tackling was bad. You had three, four rushers, if you include Lamar, but you had that three-headed monster in the backfield that seemed to be getting six, seven yards a pop uh, late in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. So sort of an interesting reverse approach here, but... The disconcerting part is that first quarter, maybe, where you would hope Lamar would get a little bit more protection, Tim, than than he got. Yeah, I mean, if we're just sticking with the offensive side of the ball, especially in the passing game, um, before we turn to the offensive line, which I do want to talk about, there's been some quotes, Harbaugh doing the whole, oh, they're not as bad as you think from yesterday. I, <laughs> I watched the game. It was pretty horrific. But the passing game in general i thought was really strong outside of that i mean he threw to nine different guys he had nine different targets um our boy patty ricard big touchdown and then a big block to seal the game i'm sorry i don't want him to get lost in the weeds this is officially a project pat podcast (laughs) one because i love alliteration two because i love fullbacks it might be the next jersey purchase to be completely honest the guy is an absolute stud hell of a catch on the first touchdown too but um, another guy I want to point out, and apologies for taking a little bit of your thunder here, Antonio, but in the passing game, Hollywood Brown, five Spread receptions, love, four, five receptions, 42 yards, <laughs> uh, obviously the long one being the 25-yard game that he had. But for me, especially in a game where the security blanket named Mark Andrews only had one catch, Marquise Brown is kind of turning into another security blanket guy, another go-to guy, another guy that is just open. You know, Lamar is kind of going through his reads, maybe scrambles around. He's looking for that. I mean, we saw this in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, scrambling around, looking for something, and he just breaks free and gets open, 12 yards, move the chain. So a little love for Hollywood here. I think he had a really nice performance. But, yeah, the offensive line, man, um, Orlando Brown in particular – was just having his lunch ate by J.J. Watt. And it seemed over and over again, it's the the Achilles heel of this team. He hasn't been sacked that many t- He hasn't been sacked more than twice since week five last season, that being Lamar Jackson. He got sacked four times today, although those were the only four times he got hit. But it's something that, yeah, J.J. Watt is great. He's not what he used to be. They have some other guys there uh, that can rush the passer as well that I thought did really well. But when you start to get up against the very, very elite teams and the very, very elite pass rushers, 
that is something that really, really concerns me. Because, yeah, the guy, Lamar can get away. We know that. He's, he's, a, he's an athletic freak. Just gifts, incredible gifts when it's tra- like escapability and rushing and things like that. But he can't be running for his life all game. He simply cannot do that. And uh, it was something to note, something that they certainly want to improve on. But definitely, prob- for me, the most concerning part of this game. Speaking of that sort of one of one of the issues that came out of that, and this is under my like things I didn't like and I was surprised by because the Ravens are normally pretty good at this. And that was the last two minutes of the first half. And that's where that issue that you spoke about, Tim, came up maybe most glaringly. I I believe uh, Jackson was sacked four times. And two of them came on this drive where they were you know trying to get that last field goal or something before the end of the half. They had a first and 10 from Houston's 45-yard line, and Jackson then gets sacked on two of the next three plays, and they have to punt it away. I mean, arguably they needed, what, five more yards to try to try a Justin Tucker uh, in a dome. I think it's a dome, right, Houston, or it's a retractable yeah, roof? Yeah, they have a yeah. closed roof. Uh, so you you could have had five, ten to, you know, yards, five yards, and, and try a field goal, but the protection was, was terrible, basically, on, on an obvious passing down, and, and Jackson had nowhere to go. And then, to, let's turn it now to the defensive side, because the other thing that came out of that was Houston getting the ball at their own 11-yard line and marching right down the field and, and kicking <laughs> their own field goal in less than two minutes. So, listen, Ravens won by 17, had a <laughs> comfortable lead for the majority of this game, but I want to get your two thoughts on Houston's ability to move the ball uh, on this defense pretty readily outside of those two big, those two big turnovers that they had. So, for me... I still have concerns about the, the the pressure the Ravens have in, you know, obvious passing downs when you need coverage. It's still hard for this team to get to the quarterback when they're not blitzing like crazy. <laughs> now, we know Wink Martindale's going to blitz kind of even when uh, most conventional football logic dictates he shouldn't. <laughs> but And that's uh, why we love him, Jace. And that's why we love him. And it's very fun, especially... Um, I think as we saw later in the game when uh, it became they did Lamar or uh, Deshaun Watson did have to pass and they were able to get after him a little bit, and, um, but I th- I th- I think that's what just concerns me is on these obvious passing downs they don't just they don't have a JJ Watt they don't have this obvious stud defensive lineman who you're like we're rushing for it's a it's a two minute drill. And they just don't have the guy that can consistently get there off the edge. Um, and I don't really know how they solved that <laughs> this season, I think, is the bigger concern outside of just always have the lead. But um, we should also mention, I think another big part of this is uh, Tavon Young, unfortunately, suffered another season-ending injury. The slot cornerback, he missed all of last season with a neck injury, was really good for the team in 2018. Um and was good, obviously, last week, and I thought in the early going this week, um, uh, because at the very least, when he exited, you noticed his replacement. Uh, Anthony Averett um, was repeatedly picked on uh, by Deshaun Watson, including on a few of those plays late to the sideline, late in the uh, you know the second uh, second quarter there. So. I have concerns about the loss of Tavon Young. I have concerns about uh, the pressure and, you know, making a guy like Anthony Averett 
hold up more in coverage if you can't get to the QB. There's ways around it, but it's a concern. Matthew Judon, the Ravens' version of who should be their stud pass rusher, one tackle yesterday, zero sacks. Not quite. He has not that. been noticeable enough to me this season. Yeah, uh, keep he... keep telling me he deserves a contract. By the way, <laughs> please. Um, on on a couple of these things, it's interesting. Jimmy Smith played, I believe, all but nine defensive snaps for the Ravens. Uh, kind of is playing as a hybrid safety corner role. You wonder how that role is going to change now with Tavon Young out. I think it's a crushing blow. I agree with you, Jace. There's some people, um, I know our other co-hosts probably in that that group of, of Rhett didn't play that bad, and some of these throws were money. I'll concede all those points, but the fact of the matter is when you're playing a team like, I don't know, the team we're playing uh, on Monday, which we'll get to, and they have weapons out the wazoo, and you have Marlon Humphrey locking one guy down, Marcus Peters locking the other guy down. That third guy is going to torch Anthony Everett every day, twice on Sunday, and three times on Monday. It's just, it is it is a problem. And the best way to help a corner out is getting pressure. The problem is you have to send multiple people to get pressure, leaving him more on an island, so you better get to that quarterback or it's really going to be a problem. Um, that was, that and the offensive line play, were my two, really my two lowlights here. I, I have a question for you guys, and not to always steal the hosting role from Antonio, but because uh, before we were texting, we always have like a, a group text going during the games, and I said I had a sinking feeling about this game. It felt a little trappish, kind of, but also just this weird, like everybody's just expected us to blow them out. I didn't think it was going to happen. The fact that they won by 17 points and still we have all these complaints, is that us being spoiled Ravens fans at this point or were they not as good as the score? What do you guys think? They're a good team and we've been (laughs) spoiled by Lamar, our savior, Jackson, who looked annoyed for most of the game because to his expectations – He did not have a good game. He visibly did not do as much as he wanted to do, which is crazy because he went 18 for 24, did not turn (laughs) the ball over, and also rushed for 54 yards. yards. (laughs) I mean, it's a pretty good day at the office for most quarterbacks, but the level is so high, Tim, that when we see mistakes, you know, we're so so paranoid about the playoff loss that we're trying to fix every little problem before we get to week 17. Football's hard, and they played on the road against a good quarterback. I was going to say a good team, but not really. It's a good quarterback, and then there's a little bit of spot, you know, some other areas uh, left that are left to be desired. But you play, you know, a winner, to use a corny term for Deshaun Watson, but you sort of feel like they're always in the game, even when they're behind. But I don't know, man. It's just this team is deep. It's talented. It's still an offense that is difficult to defend, even when you've seen it for what 20-plus games now with Lamar Jackson. But if the Ravens can do... And this happened in the Browns game, too. They made plenty of mistakes in that Browns game, especially in the first half with a few penalties in a row that were that were bad and bad tackling you know, against the run. If the Ravens can do like 8 out of 10 things, 7 out of 10 things right, they're going to win games by double digits. If they can do nine, ten things out of ten right, they're going to have those games like they had last year against the Rams where they scored touchdowns on every drive and blew (laughs) a team out on the road. So I just, 
I just think the standard was different, man. This is not the, no offense, this is not the Flacco era where it was so offense could be good one week and then disappear the next week on a Thursday night game in Jacksonville or something like that. <laughs> it's pretty consistent, and the bar is just so much higher, so we have more to, to nitpick, I think. I'm in 100% agreement. I think it, it is, the Ravens are a good team, probably close to an exceptional team, but it's, we want them to be the perfect team because we don't want to be hurt in the playoffs again. <laughs> I don't want to be hurt again. <laughs> I am ready to be hurt again, as one yeah, thing Scott said. Same. But, uh, but I, I do think, like, to Antonio's point, just the nature of football, you know, they say any given Sunday for a reason because it's a deeply strange game with lots of, you know, week-to-week, even play-to-play variants. You know, we saw... There was a play we remarked in the group chat against the Texans where uh, they ended up rushing three and somehow still left the guy, Brandon Coates, just completely wide open. It's like, well, the idea was to cover people if you're only rushing three and they somehow didn't either. Stuff and like he that wasn't just even the only open receiver on that play. <laughs> Breakdowns like that. It's just that I think football is just so complex. It's not, you know, hockey's like, shoot at the net. Like, <laughs> football is just so, so complex. Uh that it does create these variations. But the Ravens have done their best to try to just sort of eliminate, uh, you know, it's a cliche, I guess, but control the controllables. And I think the Ravens do that about as good as any team in the league. But I, I think even from compared to last year, the line definitely has slipped a bit. And Now, that could be Ronnie Stanley looked like he tweaked his ankle again, so he's probably hurt. Uh, and who knows, nagging injuries could be him you have a sixth round pick at left guard you have a rookie third round pick at right guard undrafted center coming off tearing everything in his knee so I think in terms of the line and some of the issues we see with the Ravens I think the line has a chance to improve uh certainly we've seen them play better than they did uh Sunday Jace you forgot they lost an all pro slash probably hall of fame right guard as well right guard yeah that matters. It turns as it turns out, Marshall Yanda was exceptional at his job, and I don't even think Tyree Phillips has been that bad. It's just like he's not Marshall Yanda, and that's been clear in two weeks. But uh, you know, Marshall Yanda wasn't Marshall Yanda right away, so there's still time. Uh, I am broad strokes with this team still more concerned about the pressure situation on defense. Now they did get after Deshaun Watson. Um, and they've proven in the past they're very good at uh, defending leads for the most part. Uh, they're able to really get after, and that's when this defense is fun to watch under Wink, when just like Deshaun Elliott and Patrick Queen getting involved in the pass rush a lot has been really encouraging in the first his first two games. Uh, but there's definitely holes in this Ravens roster. They're not a perfect team, but they're a damn good football team and are definitely going to win a lot more than they lose. <laughs> yeah, I, I only asked the question because I'm kind of conflicted where – it's like, yeah, maybe I wasn't that impressed, but then the Ravens dropped 33 points. Remember when that like happened maybe once a year, and now it's just a, a staple? On the pressure, we should note, they did hit him 13 times. They sacked him four times. They hit him 13 times. Jace, you are dead right. Patrick Queen going after anybody is now my new one of my new favorite things to watch. That dude is fast, and he is mean, and all he wants to do is go after the ball carrier and... As somebody who loves defense, I absolutely love it. Um, I know I know we do have to move off this game and talk about some other things. Before we do that, I, w- I want to mention 
the play that everybody is kind of saying broke this game, and that is fourth and one. The Ravens are going for it. They line up Mark Ingram as the quarterback. They line up Mark Andrews as the right tackle. They bring over Orlando <laughs> Brown. Patrick McCarry is your extra man, and they just said, we are going to beat you to death. Then they had uh, the Houston had a safety come in, I believe, to try and squeeze it down. And Pat Ricard basically sat on the man and eliminated him. The guy disappeared under Ricard's belly. And Ingram goes 30 yards to the house, gives the kung fu kick to the logo, and that's <laughs> – that's all she wrote at that point. Um, just one that we didn't – I know we were going through the game a little bit before. We didn't really mention it. That play, for me, I know, Jace, you said I was pretty comfortable early on. I was still a little – because Deshaun Watson at any time type of thing. That was nail meat coffin. And it was perfect execution on a very, very critical down and distance and just awesome to watch. And, again – that's why we expect so much because they do stuff like that on a regular basis. It seems that was such a play play of the year for me. Uh, I mean, Patrick McCarry, you mentioned him perfect. Uh, him and Ricard just sealed oh. perfect seal. And oh. it was, it was just nothing but grass in front of our turf or whatever it is down there. <laughs> this is a, this is a family show or I would describe my feelings on those blocks, but it's a family but, show. So yeah, play of the year for me, you know, when it, when they first lined up for it, I'll admit, I'll cop to it. I was a little nervous. I am not a huge fan of not uh, Lamar Jackson not having the ball <laughs> in any way on these fourth downs. Uh, so I was like, uh-oh, what are we about to do? Are we about to get too cute? Nope. Instead, you know, 30-yard touchdown plus yard touchdown that seals the game. So I was like, oh, that's why John Harbaugh's the head coach and not me. <laughs> it, just seems, it, was just it just seemed like a play they had so ready to go in the bag. They're just waiting for that fourth and one, fourth and inches from the right spot to bring that play out. They called it, for me, those type of, you know, quote-unquote trick plays, they take a while to get called and to get relayed and for the team to get lined up because maybe they haven't worked on it too, too many times. They had that play lined up so fast. Uh, I agree with you, Chase. I don't love Lamar Jackson not being involved. (laughs) <laughs> but just so well executed, such a classic like Harbaugh play. To, I mean, I know he's, he probably didn't draw it up, but just a classic Harbaugh era play to have absolutely ready for the right moment. Sort of like a fake punt that they run just in the right moment. But I do that does bring up another point that I want to talk about with you guys, and that is the distribution of carries that I thought was really interesting in this game. Gus Edwards leading the team with ten carries, got a lot of them late in the game. Mark Ingram with nine. J.K. Dobbins, only two carries, one of which he took for 44 yards to end the game. <laughs> so if J.K. Dobbins was trying to prove a point uh, with that last carry of the of the game, he certainly did. But I wonder, I don't, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on uh, Dobbins only getting two carries in this game compared to uh, the other backs getting combining for 19. Well, this is going to be the tough part, right? I thought Dobbins clearly looked like the best runner in week one. And then, I mean, he pulls off in only two opportunities. He pulls off an incredible 44 yard run in week two. I still think that that is RB one by the time the season ends. Um, But the thing is that doesn't really matter. We're seeing it around the league. Anybody that plays fantasy knows that it's hard to rely on one guy, you know, because all these teams use these committees and we have the best committee in the game. (laughs) Um, And it's weird. Like, 
you know, I know Gus Edwards had the most carries, but it almost felt like a lot of those, and we talked about it, how the, the run game came in the second half. A lot of those felt like they came late as well, just remembering off the top of my head. It was like Mark Ingram, even though he only got nine carries, was kind of the bell cow. Gus Edwards was the victory cigar, and J.K. Dobbins was the cherry on top. It was it was very – it was odd. Um, that being said, outside of Patrick Queen and Tyree Phillips, you didn't see a lot from the rookies in this game. I know DuVarnay made one catch, I believe. Um, and then you have him and Prochet doing the special teams returning. But I don't know what it was about this game. Maybe Harbaugh was a little more on edge. It's the first away game of the year. I know there's no crowd, but they have to kind of get used to traveling and all that stuff. That he just decided to go with Ingram. I really, honestly, Antonio, I think this is going to be a hot hand situation. It was Mark Ingram was playing pretty well. And then Gus Edwards looked incredible. I mean, he really looked good. He's He's the classic just find the hole, bang, hit the hole 10 yards, and we're moving. Um, And because of that, J.K. is a little lower on the pecking order because he's the young guy. So I don't worry about it too much, but it's going to be very interesting to see how Greg Roman and Harbaugh and whoever makes these decisions balances these guys out. Jace, final thoughts on this uh, Houston game before we move on here. Um, if I could just talk about the opposition for a second, uh, I feel bad for Deshaun Watson because he's incredible and I don't know that that team's getting the most, uh, gonna help him, you know, succeed to the best of his abilities necessarily. I guess that's putting it mildly, but, uh, yeah, some baffling decisions by Bill O'Brien, uh, at least on that, that early fourth down. I, I thought anyway, I thought it was, it just put the Ravens in such a position to succeed. It just seemed like such a low, uh, you know, low this like what's it do for you if you convert there you have the ball like first out on like your own 35 still it just didn't seem like there was enough reward for that kind of risk so i think that helped the ravens kind of get running in this one and then uh yeah it's nice to have a football team i'm never really afraid of uh blowing a lead and then not only that watching them you know pretty expertly bleed the clock it was it was it was a it was a solid sunday afternoon of viewing i'll say (laughs) next up is the random raven it's tim's turn this week so tim uh i'm excited who you have for us yeah this one i had this guy i was following along on twitter during the game and this guy said something about the game and i was like wait a minute this guy played for the ravens didn't he and he was always one of my favorite players when he was not with the ravens and i looked and yeah he ended up in baltimore for a couple years so here is the random raven clue number one this player played for three teams in his career with baltimore being his final stop playing for the Ravens from 2013 to 2015. He started 33 games in his three seasons in Baltimore. Clue number two, he was drafted in the fourth round of the 2005 NFL draft out of Virginia. So came pretty late in, uh, in his career here. Clue number three, he finished his career with 354 tackles, 22 and a half sacks, and five forced fumbles. He also batted down 19 passes in his career. He won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants, but was drafted by another NFC East team. And clue number five, his number is currently being worn by my favorite pass rusher, Matthew Judah. I have a little bit of a bonus clue for the end. It's not, I mean, it's another one of those, like Haruki Nakamura, if you remember the thing, you remember the thing. If not, it's not going to help, but we'll see. I was... Um. I was flabbergasted. I am drawing a complete blank right okay. now. <laughs> I will say it was tough to find clues for this guy, although he was a pretty, 
prominent player in his day. I mean, it sounds like, like he sounds good based on those numbers. Yeah, he, he had a pretty. pretty <laughs> sounds like we could use him back right now. Yeah. All right, I'm I'm stalling here because I'm stumped and I'm okay. like annoyed that I'm stumped. You know, this is the first time that I would stump both of you. And early in this podcast, I was the one always getting stumped. So I, I think it's a little retribution, we'll call it that. <laughs> 350 tackles. All right. We're going to move on. <laughs> and we're going to hope that we can muster a name by the end of this episode. But we've got to talk about the NFL. Got to talk about the NFL. Got to talk about the AFC North. A couple of winners this week and one of these teams well, I guess three of the four teams won and one of them had to lose because they played against each other starting with the Steelers who I just wrote in my notes Steelers and Ben will be annoying I'm not sure how much you guys watched of the Denver game but Pittsburgh 2-0 and still looking strong on defense and Ben making a lot of the throws that he made over the entirety of his career not look, I mean, he's looking slower physically, maybe. Not running as fast as he once did, but the arm is looking as strong as, as it has. And then the other AFC North game, and then I'll turn to you guys on any thoughts you have in, uh, in this division. The Browns playing, obviously, the Bengals on Thursday night last week. This is what I put. Browns offense got back on track. Browns defense still does not look great. Uh, I... I <laughs> Joe Burrow threw the ball 61 times in his second start. I feel like that should get a coach fired. I just have no idea how you have a game plan in a game that was not a blowout where your rookie quarterback who's still learning the offense has to throw the ball 61 times. But they scored 30 points, end up only losing by five. Uh, the Browns ended up running for 215 yards and three touchdowns against Cincinnati. So I... Are the Ravens going to rush for 700 yards when they play Cincinnati? So sort of the story of two bad defenses there and the Browns offense just having one more touchdown in them. Your guys' thoughts on the AFC North this week? This week, I will say you're a little generous. You said two bad defenses. It's two bad teams. Who cares? Move on. For the Steelers, <laughs> it you're, annoying is exactly right because they have not looked that great. Um, I was listening to a different podcast uh, as we record this earlier today, and one of the guys on there is a Steelers fan and said it's pretty good to be 2-0 and when you're still figuring everything out. So I, it, it seems very old-school Ravens in that they have this incredible defense that's allowing the offense to kind of work their S out, as it were. Um, you know, it helps they played a team that I think half the team at the end of the game was injured, uh, including the starting quarterback and star rookie wide receiver, so the fact that both of these games have been, I mean, they played the Giants and the Broncos. The, you know, they're not the upper echelon of the NFL. What annoys me is that I don't think this is how bad the Steelers are going to be. They're only going to get better from here if Ben stays healthy, obviously. And they're tops of the division with us at 2-0. and So just, you, you nailed it in a word, Antonio. Incredibly <laughs> annoying. It's so frustrating because... Roethlisberger looked good. He did miss a few throws, but, you know, he's 38 and coming off major elbow surgery. He is definitely a decided, very big upgrade for what they had uh, last year. And that defense is so good. I mean, we mentioned J.J. Watt. His annoying younger brother, T.J. Watt, had two and a half sacks. And they had seven sacks as a team. They got a safety on special teams. The Broncos don't have the greatest offensive line in the world, but they just... 
they were just swallowing. I mean, they knocked Drew Locke out of the game pretty early. It, the, the offense for them does still seem like a concern. But that defense is as good as they've been in a long, long time. And I'm very annoyed that the Ravens have to go against them twice a year. Uh, the Thanksgiving matchup might even have fans in the stands in Pittsburgh by that time. So that'll be annoying. It's just all very annoying. <laughs> and as for the Browns, the only small thing I'll say on them is it's very funny to me that it's clearly their offense should be uh, run the ball like 45 times a game because they have two amazing running backs and are pretty solid uh, offensive line when it comes to running, but they have Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, so they try to throw up all the time. That makes me laugh a little bit as just someone observing from the outside that they elect to go with the way that makes them not win as much. But uh, yeah, Nick Chubb's awesome. Kareem Hunt's very good. So um, in hindsight, it made me feel a little better about the Ravens' run defense, seeing what they did against the Bengals. So we got that going for us at least. The Ravens will play Cincinnati at home in week five, and then the Steelers at home week seven. One game I'm looking forward to, and one game that I'm going to be biting my nails for the majority of it. Elsewhere in the NFL, we got to talk about it. Tampa Bay. Tampa time. They did not look great in week one on the road against the Saints. Week two, put some more things together. Score 31 points, beat the Panthers by two touchdowns. Tim's brow is so furrowed, I can barely see his eyes. So I'm going to let you just tear this one apart, Tim. No, 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 no. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm making a proposal on this. I will start talking about the Bengals if we don't have to talk about this stupid team. Like, I I immediately, behind the curtain, I immediately regretted putting Carolina as a playoff team because they stink. And now they've lost Christian McCaffrey. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to think that Tampa Bay has figured it out with Rob Gronkowski, who, by the way, is shot. Game over. Mike Did Evans, not who... Not a catch yesterday. No, not a catch yesterday. Their defense is great. You want to talk about their defense? You want to talk about guys like Devin White, uh, Barrett, the, the pass rusher? I'll talk about those guys all day. But let's call it Tampa Bay and not talk about that stupid <laughs> starting a quarterback because I'm tired of it. I, do, I am still off of this train. I'm off. I, I was off last week, and I haven't gotten back on the seat. And if all the seats are taken, great, because it's going to go right off a cliff. It really is. I, I don't have any faith in this Tampa team. I really, really don't. And Brady is still old. Like, if that team makes the playoffs, it, it's going to be, oh, look what Tom Brady did with this team. No, it's look what that defense <laughs> did. That defense is incredible. They still are completely undisciplined, make way too many mistakes, give up way too many stupid penalties. I'm just, I'm, I'm out. I'm out on Tampa. I will start talking about Joey Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals and their atrocious run defense. I'll watch Bengals <laughs> games. I'll do the full 90. I'll get, a, I'll get a password for NFL Sunday ticket or pay for NFL Sunday ticket just to watch the game rewind of Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. If I can stop talking about this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. I'm out. I'm out. Well, you know who's buying Tim's stock? Brett Favre, who for some reason was like one of like five people at this game wearing a uh, Tom Brady superimposed on Bucko Bruce's face t-shirt <laughs> as he just was munching chips in the stands. <laughs> I'm going to buy Tim one of those one of those t-shirts and see, see, just see what he does with it. No, but 
I thought the defense looked use it for warmth. Be- Make a I fire. thought the defense looked better. First of all, I mean they looked pretty good in week one as well, but the defense may be better than expected. Forced five turnovers in this game. Well, forced five and they did not recover one of the fumbles. So I guess four turnovers made Teddy Bridgewater look not great for the vast majority of this game. And then Tom Brady just game managed his way to a 31-17 victory. They're just not going away, Tim, and that's the part that I think is going to be frustrating as as the season goes along, but got Mike Evans back. He had seven catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown, um, which is a good thing to see. They did not have Godwin in the game last or this, this week, I should say, so will be interesting to see when he sort of has the whole uh, arsenal of weapons. And then Leonard Fournette. Count me as somebody who never thought that guy would rush for 100 yards again, but <laughs> did so on 12 carries. There are some pieces here. That's all I'm saying. And I think the more they hang around, if they win some games, lose some games, hang around, I think they're going to get better as opposed to worse as, as the season goes along. But elsewhere, a, a better game that happened this week in the NFL the Sunday night game, which also annoyed me for different reasons because a team that's not going away is the New England Patriots with Cam Newton. Losers to the Seattle Seahawks on the road, but looked pretty good and really had one more yard to gain and they would have come out of there with a win. Thoughts on the Seahawks-Pats game and just how good this Pats team will end up being? I don't want to do the 2020 meme. But you know it's 2020 when I'd rather talk about this than Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, I, I actually was fascinated by this game. First of all, let's get it out of the way. The Patriots are good. They're going to win that division. They're going to be annoying in the playoffs. Cam can throw the ball, in fact. Went 30, 30 for 44 for 397 with a touchdown, also had a pick. And then even with being stopped on the one at the at the end of the game, which I was laying in bed watching and loudly screamed and probably woke up a bunch of my neighbors after they made that play. Um, that was the right play call, and he is almost unstoppable down there on the goal line in a big moment, which you know is going to hurt the Ravens in January. So that's enough for them. The Seattle Seahawks, man. Russell Wilson. I, it, this, I'm already tired of the let Russ cook narrative, but let him cook. Like... <laughs> Holy, are you kidding me? That guy throws a better deep ball than I've seen from almost anybody, even Jace's man crush Aaron Rodgers. The way that he floats that bad boy up in the air and down into the hands of DK Metcalf or uh, is more number 83, the guy who like kicked the pylon to keep his second foot in. Some of the plays they made and those beautiful, just arching deep balls that Russell Wilson had. The fact that, I mean, it was it was beaten to death by Chris Collinsworth, who then took the blame for it about him never receiving an MVP vote, I think that's changing this year because Russell Hustle and Bustle, as they like to call him, looks <laughs> he looks incredible for that I Seattle mean, team, and they're dangerous. They're really dangerous. He, he throws a pick six that wasn't his fault on the very first pass, and then proceeds to, uh, he still, he from there he finished 21 of 28 with five touchdowns. That's insane. <laughs> he seems like the early leader. I mean, compare, combined with what he did to Atlanta, which we'll get to them in a moment. But uh, in week one, he's got to be the early leader for MVP this season, I think. It does seem like this is got to be the, uh, in uh, combined with what happened to the 49ers, which we'll probably also mention in a minute. Uh, they seem the leader in the, the NFC West. It seems like this is Russ's time uh, for MVP, uh, kind of his anointment 
this season. Uh, and he was incredible. I do want to make a confession right now. That was I was thinking about it watching last night's game. And I think I'm with Tim. I think I hated Tom Brady more than the New England Patriots. Because watching them, I was like, this is entertaining. I wasn't annoyed by, like, Bill Belichick or anything. Like, I was just like, yeah, it's the Patriots, but eh. Tom Brady's not there, so <laughs> it wasn't like, even though Bill Belichick's still there, I was just like, eh, I've always liked Cam. Like, <laughs> it's, they're kind of like whatever to me now. And now, and I don't know how to feel about it. Now that, yeah, I hate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now more than I hate the New England Patriots. It feels wrong, but I think this whole time it was Tom Brady. See, that was the source of my ire. I have such a, I just disagree with this so do, much. Huh? First okay. of all, you got Bill Belichick wearing the mask just ridiculously. He had it folded <laughs> over six times. It was like a nose guard and that's yeah, it. Yeah, that was interesting. You got his son who I just want to rip the hair out of his head just doing the intentional like 80s rocker mullet. Just stop. He looks like a little gremlin. Edelman, I will never like Edelman. I don't care how well he plays. It's just not, he's not my dude. Not an Edelman guy at all. Any, do, do I need to hate more people? No. I, hey, hey, I just want to speak for myself here because Jace misconstrued my words a little bit. I still hate the New England Patriots. <laughs> and Julian Edelman getting into the Hall of Fame, they should burn that building to the ground if that happens because that is just one of the most asinine arguments I've ever heard about. He's second Oi. at all-time playoff reception. Oh, shut up. I don't care. He's not good enough. He is not a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Um, but that being said, yeah, I would rather talk about them with Cam. All of your points right there are completely valid, but that's how infuriated I am by the whole Tampa Bay situation, I guess, is that... <laughs> is that I would rather talk about this team that I despise. It has caused me so much grief and anguish over the years. Probably informed a lot of the person who I am, seeing as those were very formative years <laughs> where they just kept take, ripping my heart out of my chest and stomping on it over and over and over again. But th- th- all of that wrapped up, I still would rather talk about them than I would Tampa <laughs> Bay, as you like to keep referring to it as. The Patriots also play the Ravens this year. And the Ravens get to go to Foxborough in mid-November for a Sunday night game. I feel like a few months ago, just, it seemed like that was just going to be a cakewalk victory that we were so excited about. And now that has evolved into what's probably going to be a dogfight against a resurgent Cam Newton, as, as long as he's still in the lineup that late in the season, if he can stay healthy. All right, Jace, let's turn to this other game. Just, just what, Falcons? Come on. Atlanta yeah, if going to Dallas, leading this game. I'm pulling this up in what quarter? Leading this by 15 points in the fourth quarter and losing 40 to 39 because they decided not to try to field an onside kick. No team is getting any onside kicks for the last few years ever since they changed the rules. The Falcons decided they would not recover an onside kick. Walk us through this game and explain to me how you can still survive as an Atlanta Falcons fan. Uh, yeah, um, if we're talking about uh, what's bothering, let's we're bringing it back. What's bothering Jace? How did the Falcons lose this game? Here we go. It's, Haven't had this in a while. Bring it back. It's astounding. It makes no sense. It's so confusing. You mentioned 15-point lead with... They they go up 15, 39 to 24, with 7.57 to go in the fourth quarter. The Dallas Cowboys score a touchdown to cut it to a nine-point lead 
with 457 to go, don't get the two-point conversion, which they didn't even necessarily need at that exact moment. They could have kicked one and still been a one-possession game. Makes it a two-possession game with under five minutes to go. <laughs> and the Falcons, you know, Dak Prescott scores, and they cut it to 39-37 with 149 to go. The Cowboys, no timeouts. Just none. None timeouts left. Uh, so, you know, you recover this onside kick, which is so much harder now that you can't do the running start and the wall and all that and the unbalanced lines. Pretty hard to get a kick. And Greg Zerline kicks it about two yards <laughs> on the ground. And then it just spins and it spins and it spins. And for whatever reason, the Falcons players just stare at it until it crosses 10 yards. <laughs> and the Cowboys jump on it, <laughs> giving them a chance. And at this point, you know, they've recovered an onside kick, so they don't even have to go that far. They hit like one pass, I believe, to CeeDee Lamb. Uh, and they're in business. They kick the game-winning field goal uh, with Greg the leg. So... It's a, It makes no sense. They had a 20-point lead at one point in this game. They exited the first quarter leading 20 to nothing. Uh, Julio Jones drops a wide-open touchdown on a trick play uh, from a wide, a wide receiver. Russell Gage throws the ball. Perfect pass right off Julio's hands. Could have extended their lead later in the, in the second half. This team is just a bunch of choke artists, and it needs to get blown up. And clearly, I think Matt Ryan's a good QB. Julio Jones is an exceptional wide receiver. Literally everyone on their offense uh, starters entering this year was a former first-round pick. But whatever they're doing, offense, defense, it goes back to Dan Quinn. This is the team that did 28-3. It has just permeated this franchise in, a, in an unescapable way. And I just need to get rid of... Of Dan Quinn, I think, because unless until they do a full separation, it, that that 28-3 loss will hang over. And now they have this, which is somehow almost worse. Like they had less time remaining to get like 15 points than the Patriots had in that game. I I just don't know how they keep choking like this in these games. Like you don't see how's it the same team every time? Is it Matt Ryan? Is he just like the least motivational <laughs> quarterback in the league? It's so confusing. So that's my rant. I don't know how they lost this game. I didn't even know they lost. I had flipped over the Ravens game started. I was watching on red zone earlier, but the Ravens game started at uh, 125 Pacific time here. So I flipped over the Ravens game, look at my phone, see that the Falcons have in fact lost the game. Last I checked, they were up uh, nine. <laughs> with less than five minutes to go so i was like checked out of that game completely look at my phone they lost the game you have to backwards piece it together it's a it doesn't make sense it just doesn't make even logical sense how you can blow a game like that we don't see this from other nfl teams even like the lions that might be a bad example but most other teams just don't blow games like this and they just have done like multiple 20 point blown leads in a four-year span here (laughs) And I think you got to get rid of Dan Quinn. Like, I was surprised he came back, honestly, after last year. But it seems time, like, he can't be the head coach anymore. They're not winning the Super Bowl with this guy. I was going to say, you referenced the Lions, the team who has historically now, I think it's four straight games where they've had a lead of 11 points or more that they've lost. <laughs> yes, uh, four so straight double-digit leads. <laughs> not the best example. Not a good example. I, I will say, because you nailed it on the Falcons, so we don't need to go on out anymore about them. But credit to the Cowboys. I, I know... Yeah. I've said this before, if, if I had to pick a second team in the NFL, which I never would do, based on some people early in my life, it would be the Dallas Cowboys. 
So maybe take this with a grain of salt. We saw a little bit of Andy Dalton, which was always fun. Definitely called his own play for that passing play there. But five of their last six possessions, they scored. And four of those were touchdowns. The final one being a field goal, obviously, to win it. The other one was a turnover on downs when, you know, clearly they're desperate for points. Dak Prescott, man, dude's playing for that contract, and he's going to get paid. If it's not by Jerry Jones, it's going to be by somebody else. 34 of 47, 450 yards. Uh, and then the receivers they have. I mean, Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb, both with six catches going. Amari with 100 yards, CeeDee Lamb with 106 as a rookie in his second ever NFL game. Really, really incredible stuff from that Dallas team. Dallas is the typical all-star team where they look way better individually than they actually are on pa- or <laughs> on the field. Excuse me. They look better on paper than they are on the field. But it, 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 it's a choke job, and... Arthur Blank should have fired Dan Quinn a long time ago, but still credit to the Cowboys for rallying back after obviously just a horrific deficit to start. I love Jace in that rant, just going with the full breaking down the family nucleus with a full separation <laughs> quote with Dan Quinn. My goodness, just sad, just cutting, <laughs> cutting all sorts of ties over in, in Atlanta. <laughs> The last thing I want to talk about in the NFL this week was just the injuries, which we have not talked about yet. It's a lot of big names going down, a lot of them from one team. And not, I mean, this is including the Ravens losing um, Tavon Young to an ACL tear. Saquon Barkley tore his ACL. He's out for the season. Christian McCaffrey with an injury. He'll be out for over a month. Joey Bosa, Jimmy Garoppolo, Drew Locke for Denver, Cortland Sutton for Denver. There's a list of like 20 guys, 10 to 15, let's say, with major, major injuries all coming in week two. Speculation is is difficult. It's annoying. You're, you know, you, you can't guess how these things are, are related. But I, want, I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on all these injuries, and specifically the 49ers injuries playing – at MetLife Stadium playing against the Jets, where they have to then play the Giants at the same stadium, same field next week. And the 49ers have publicly said they're scared to play on that field because of all the injuries they saw in, in this game. So just any quick thoughts you guys have on, on injuries in the NFL this week? Yeah, on the Niners, you know, you see Nick Bosa gone for the year when he was the reigning rookie, uh, defensive rookie of the year. Uh, and then Garoppolo got banged up and uh, Raheem Mostert got knocked out for them too. Uh they did publicly complain about the MetLife Stadium turf. It apparently has recently been updated or changed. And uh, you, you see this sometimes with playing on new turf. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes just weird stuff happens. It, to your point on speculation, because I think like that game, it does seem like something was going on with the turf. Like to have that many major injuries in one game is kind of astounding. Um, uh, the speculation, though, like that no preseason caused this. It's hard to say. You know, we saw a season, I believe it was 2017, where, like, half the starting quarterbacks in the league got knocked out due to injuries. You know, you get these seasons where just injuries can happen, and they can be random, and they can decimate large portions. I'm sure not having preseason didn't help, but it's unfortunate for the NFL. Uh, You know, you go into the season with all this, especially for the 49ers, the reigning NFC champs, you think they're going to make big noise, uh in the NFC West and they lose their probably best defensive player and you know, their quarterback gets banged up and their starting running back gets banged up. And now they're in last place in their division. Now every one of their division mates is two and O 
it seems like you don't want to say a team's done, but it certainly puts them in trouble. So they're definitely the team that was hit the most on Sunday. Moving on now to, oh boy, preview. Week three, Ravens hosting the Super Bowl champs, Kansas City Chiefs, on Monday night. It's a primetime game in Baltimore. Would love to have fans at the bank, but it will be an empty stadium in what is the biggest game of the year. Baltimore opening as three-and-a-half-point favorites. What What is the world when the Ravens going against the defending Super Bowl champs are three-and-a-half-point favorites in any scenario, but they are. Guys, we've played the Chiefs two, uh, the last two years, and in both of those situations, the games were way closer than anticipated. They were both on the road in Kansas City, both started by Lamar Jackson. He couldn't quite get over the hump in either of those games. Some Kansas City magic late in both of those games. So I'm going to turn to you guys as we get into this preview. Do the Ravens, I mean, (laughs) they're favorites, but do the Ravens have a chance uh, to win this game in Baltimore? Um, Hesitation. Hesitation from my (laughs) co-hosts. They always have a chance. Will they? I, it's funny because again, we, we've talked a lot about expectations on today's show and kind of how we feel about this Baltimore team. So maybe I am just, I'm not low on the team. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of emphasize this. I'm not low on this team. I think they're incredibly good. They're one of the best in the league, but it's weird that I kind of feel a little dirty after that game against Houston. Like it's not all sunshine and butterflies with this team. I think there are some major concerns that I think could be exploited by Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs pass rush uh, specifically. So yeah, I think there's an absolute chance. I think that the Ravens play up to competition. I think that even in Lamar's rookie year, they gave the chiefs a bit of a game. Um, And then last year when this team was not what they are right now, John Harbaugh shocked everybody and did something different where he basically went for it on all these fourth downs and, and they made it a game against who everybody thought at that time was the best team in the league and obviously ended up being the Super Bowl champion. So, yeah, there's certainly a chance. Am I confident? Absolutely not. Should the Ravens not be favorites here? Absolutely not. I will say one thing, too, and uh, John Harbaugh on Monday mentioned this as well, and it's something to bring up. The Ravens finally have a Monday night game at home. And there's no fans. He, you know, he basically was like, it sucks 2020, eh? 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 And, and I, I just reverberate that, especially for people that I know that go to games, you know, season ticket holders, stuff like that. And then just to be able to watch that place, because can, can you imagine what that place would be like on a Monday I mean, night? Mahomes coming into town, all the national media talking about Patrick Mahomes and we can't really do this card anymore because they talk about Lamar a lot too. <laughs> but Ravens fans will play it up in their own head that they're not getting the respect they deserve because they're Baltimore. And that place would be on fire for four quarters. And it's it's sad that we're going to miss that. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it would have been electric. I mean, this is already just on paper one of the best Monday night football matchups I can remember in recent memory. Usually you get a pretty bad game <laughs> on Monday nights, truthfully. But... It would have been electric, and I do think that's a detriment to the Ravens in this game. And I think to like some of the other points you mentioned, Tim. I think, kind of, I think the negatives we talked about in the Texans game are 
what'll be the negatives here? I think Patrick Mahomes, the loss of Tavon Young, they are going to focus on Anthony Averett a lot, I think. Or just, you know, whoever Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters are not on. That's going to be where the ball is. You know, we saw the speed the Chiefs had last year, and this was a pre-Marcus Peters Ravens defense when they played them. That was kind of that in the Browns game back-to-back when they were just gouged and gave up big play after big play. I don't anticipate that happening, but I do think Patrick Mahomes obviously has the ability to take uh, advantage of the Ravens' weakness, especially in the face of what we said, the Ravens kind of struggling to generate rush with four. That's really how these great quarterbacks, you ha- to really disrupt them, you got to get there with four, because otherwise, if you try to blitz, they're just going to find the guy, and they're going to eat you alive on that. And that's a problem for the Ravens when you're such a blitz-heavy team. Um, and I think you mentioned on the other side of the ball too, Tim, I think the Chiefs have enough on defense especially in the pass rush, uh, you know, up front, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, those kind of guys to to give them some problems, at least in terms of this inconsistent offensive line that we've seen. Now, maybe they respond to that by just going real heavy on the run this week, try to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands as much as possible. That's generally been the strategy. That's how the Niners nearly won the Super Bowl last year. That's how the Colts, you know, when they beat them last year, they held the ball for 40 minutes in that game in Arrowhead. Uh so that's what the I think the Ravens have to try to do is just ball control because I do think the Chiefs are a team built to take advantage of the Ravens' weaknesses. Jace, you mentioned ball control. Let me tell you how the Chiefs have done in their first two games defending the run because it's not great. In the squeaker win against the Los Angeles Chargers, which I asked you guys before this show started, if the fact that they struggled to beat the Chargers and frankly could have, should have, would have lost that game, if that gave us more or less confidence, the thing I look to is the run. Um, the run defense, I should say, for the Chiefs. L.A., 44 carries, 183 yards, averaged over 4 yards a carry on the, over the course of 44 carries in the game, which is crazy. Against the Texans... David Johnson, who only got 11 carries before the Texans basically had to abandon the run because they had fallen behind so so much, 11 carries for 77 yards, averaged 7 yards a pop. As a team, they averaged 5.4 yards per carry. The Ravens are better at running the ball than either of those two teams, and I don't expect them to get blown out in this game, so can they keep it close and run and run and run? I think they can. However, I'm as as a, in the gambling world, I'm absolutely terrified by that point five. The fact that Baltimore is favored by three and a half points, because this game to me, you know, I went back and forth, and I I decided to not make, give my pick until the in in the middle of the episode. I think every time I've done that, I picked the Ravens to win because I get <laughs> excited and, and jacked up, and then pick them to win. I think the Ravens will win and can win, but this just screams like. It's the team with the ball on the last drive kicking a field goal to win. And if that's a situation, if that is the situation, they're not going to win by more than three and a half points. It's going to be a three-point win. So that's sort of where I'm at right now. The, the playbook is there. The Ravens will have to run the ball for over 200 yards. They're going to have to keep the clock probably the possession for maybe 38 minutes of this game to <laughs> to do what they want to do and to limit the possessions. They did it in the fourth quarter against the Texans. 
when that was it two was it the fourth quarter where the Texans only had two possessions the entire quarter? That's the kind of thing that the Ravens need to do again. I'm going back and forth. I I also I wanted to touch on the intangibles quickly and then I'll turn back to you guys. Is Harrison Butker uh, versus Justin Tucker the best kicker matchup in the history of the NFL? I watched Butker drill like 17 58-yard field goals on Sunday. He's Which kicker gets the last chance, basically, to prove that they're the best kicker in the NFL? Uh, and that's what I think this game ends up coming down to. I mean, the best kicker in the NFL is the most accurate kicker in the history of the NFL, and that would be <laughs> Justin Tucker. So get out of here, Chiefs fans, with all this. I didn't even know who this guy was, and maybe that's on me. <laughs> But I didn't know who this guy was before he drilled those field goals. And he's probably great. But now I'm seeing all this stuff about best kicker in the NFL. You forgot about the GOAT. He wears number nine, and he also wears purple. So get out of here. If that's any motivation for Justin Tucker to say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leg one from 62 just to show this, <laughs> you know, what, what I can do. Um, you know what's funny? We're going back and forth here. I will say, we, I know we haven't gotten to picks quite yet. The running game is something that I have, that admittedly, I didn't think about enough. Is this the J.K. Dobbins show? Is this the, hey, who's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? I don't know who that is. J.K. Dobbins comes out and puts on a show. Mark Ingram. And when you're tired of those two, we're just going to run the Gus bus down your throat. Patrick Ricard hitting everybody. And you know what? Chiefs defense? Not that scary. They've got Frank Clark. They've got Chris Jones. They've got Tyra Matthew, one of my favorite players to watch. Outside of that, I don't know. Maybe this game, you talk about the kicking game, you talk about the run game too. I think another thing here that we touched on, and it sounds like we're repeating ourselves, but again, this is important. Does Marcus Peters have that pick six in in mid-third quarter? Does Sammy Watkins get open, but then all of a sudden you get that lead balloon of a hand from Marlon Humphrey coming up and swinging that ball free? Turnovers can change this game and you know who you know who creates turnovers better? It's the Baltimore Ravens. And who doesn't turn the ball over, Tim? It's the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson with zero turnovers through two weeks. Jace, I think t- Tim's getting closer and closer. Uh, have we convinced you, or uh, or are you still sticking with uh, the Chiefs here? I, I think I'm still picking the Chiefs in this game, certainly to cover the spread, because this seems like a dumb reason but the Ravens have to lose at some point, right? They've won 14 consecutive regular season games, a streak uh, that we haven't seen the longest streak in the NFL since uh, the 2014-2015 Panthers, uh, which I believe that Panthers team started the season like 13-0 in 2015 uh, with Cam Newton. It's the best streak we've seen in the NFL since then. So I think at some point they have to lose now. They also, conversely, if you want to win the Super Bowl, you have to beat the Chiefs at some point. Be it in the regular season, in the playoffs. This game is 100% and why I was so annoyed that they, uh, the Chiefs pulled that game off in overtime because, lest we forget, there is one bye week, uh, one bye this year in the playoffs, and this game will almost certainly decide who <laughs> wins that. Um, so it's a lot of pressure on this game. So there is a lot of, if not now, win, I think, with the Ravens. But I still just have concerns. You know, Mahomes has looked pretty good. Uh, some weird throws from him yesterday. He only completed uh, he completed 27 of 47 uh, and only 6.4 yards per attempt, but didn't throw any picks. 
Um, I still just think they have what it takes to take advantage of the Ravens' faults, and so I'm, that's why I think I'm going to stick with the Chiefs. Let's move to picks then, uh, unless you guys have uh, more notes you want to sprinkle in here. But, Jace, I, I can't believe it. I've been the optimist on this show uh, week after week. But I I think I'm going to, in terms of the line, I think I'm taking Kansas City here at plus three and a half. Uh, I think the Ravens may win this. I think they could win it. But I do think it ends up being a two-point win, a three-point win. This game could go into overtime, for all we know, and, and be a three-point game. But Lamar, we 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 believe in you. We trust in you. He's been dying, I think, for a a big game. I mean, he's waiting for the playoffs after that Tennessee game. But this is he's going to treat this like a playoff game. He's going to go all out. And I just wonder if maybe that ends up leading to him trying a little too hard and trying to force certain issues. So yeah, I am going to stick the, with. Go ahead. Well, he yeah he has three regular season losses and two are to the Chiefs, right? So there definitely is pressure i'm sure internally from him externally to win and we have seen he can uh be an overthrower at times when he gets a little keyed up so you hope you know to manage the emotions but it'll be interesting to monitor from that regard <laughs> and if they were fans i might be pushed i might be convinced to go with the ravens line here but with the stadium being empty that's just going to be tough to replicate that atmosphere so with that I'll, I'll do the rest of my picks here and then i'll turn back to you fellas i'm doing kansas city plus three and a half, and then I'm doing another tease. Living that tease life, I'm taking New England to beat hosting. They're hosting the Las Vegas Raiders next week, and I'm going to tease that down to even. The line is, I believe, six and a half, and I'm going to take that down to even. And then Tampa Bay, I'm I'm taking them, Tim. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are traveling (laughs) to Denver. I do not believe in that Broncos team. That line is currently seven, so I'm going to tease that down to Tampa Bay at .5 as a .5 favorite. So those two teams, New England beating the Raiders, and then Tampa Bay beating Denver. Just want to say I'm 5-0 to start the season, guys. So uh, for the listener, if you're trying to jump on some picks, definitely skip this week because I hate the board. But just wanted to say <laughs> one more time, 5-0. Talked all about that Ravens big win, 1-17. by And that's my final brag of the episode, Tim. What picks do you have for us? Yeah, well, to, to last week, I, I lost the Houston one because I picked Houston plus six and a half, although I predicted the Ravens would win. Also, I still don't understand teases. So if you're a non-gambling listener, if you are a gambling listener, you're getting great insight from Antonio. But for those schmucks like me, that all sounds good, except for the whole Tampa Bay part. Um, I won San Francisco minus seven and then won the L.A. Rams, who were underdogs against Philly. So, you know, the L.A. Rams, another team that I'm sure we'll be talking about in our NFL sections coming up. But before we get to the Ravens pick, I will say a couple games I like. One that I really like. Tennessee minus two and a half away to Minnesota. One's a good football team. One's a bad football team. And the good football team is favored by three points. So give me Tennessee all day and twice on Sunday there. Uh, Houston. I like Houston away to Pittsburgh. They're three and a half point underdogs. Give me those three and a half points. Deshaun Watson, a little frisky. They have to win this game or they're out of playoff contention. Even with the expanded format, they'll be 0-3. They have to win this game. They're desperate. So it's going to be close. So give me the points with Houston. I'm not sure if they're going to win. And then I wanted to note two things before we wrapped up the NFL section. First of all, Gardner Minshew, I'm so happy that he's good enough that he's going to be around in our lives uh, and not just on this podcast. 
with with Antonio <laughs> and I. But then the other guy who I have had the pleasure of watching because nobody likes to hear about your team, but I drafted him in fantasy, and now just a PSA: watch the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray play because if you need a, just a little more Lamar Jackson in your life, you can get some of that with Kyler Murray, and they are six point underdogs at, or six point favorites, excuse me, at home against Detroit again. Bad football team, pretty good football team with a great quarterback and a fantastic wide receiver. Give me Arizona minus six. And to culminate it all, I'm going to go with the Kansas City line and the points, plus three and a half. But I'm guaranteeing the Baltimore Ravens will win this game. Ooh. I th- I, I'm in. I'm in. Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, J.K. It, Dobbins. That's all. That's all you need to. I'm I'm an easy convincer here, and then we get to Monday, and I'm going to be losing my mind, um, breathing and, and, into a bag. <laughs> oh, breathing into a bag and sucking down some liquor, or, or the two <laughs> things that'll be happening. But I'm calling it right now. Give me the points with KC, but it's a it's a 62 yard field goal. They bring out Justin Tucker for. He hits it and then just stares at Butker on the sidelines and walks off. That's it, and that's game. Ravens win. Uh, Ravens win by three, so KC covers. Uh, I love. I want to believe, but my pessimism is still get, gets the best of me. So I'm, I'm going with the Chiefs and the three and a, the plus three and a half. I, we'll see, though. You know they could win. How we started that segment, you know, it's they always can win. I think, you know, the Ravens win their first two games, 38 to six and 33 to 16 clearly indicates they're a pretty good football team. Um, so they definitely have a chance, but I, I, I think the chiefs have also been circling this one and probably Patrick Mahomes in particular. Um, the other picks I'll go, uh, I'm, I'm right with Tim on Tennessee against, uh, Minnesota while, uh, you know, Tennessee, the Titans haven't been great they needed kind of last minute field goals to win their first two games kind of against the Broncos who appear to not be as good in hindsight and at least banged up. And then uh, against Jacksonville, the frisky Jacksonville Jaguars, but Kirk Cousins was an abomination on Sunday against the Colts. Uh, He was 11 for 26 for 113 yards with three interceptions. The Vikings stink. I don't know. I picked them. Sorry if you followed my lead last week. I thought they were the one pick I got wrong last week. The Vikings are horrible, it turns out. So, yeah, I'm right with Tim on the Titans there for that regard because the Vikings are just terrible. But uh, the other the other game I want to go with, um, now they are having to do west to east again, uh, but the Los Angeles Rams are... Two and a half point underdogs to the Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia, uh, I do not believe, is going to be allowed in attendance still up in New York. Uh, And while Josh Allen threw for 417 yards and four touchdowns on Sunday, (laughs) a real thing that happened in the NFL, uh, the Rams have looked great, I think. Like, you know, the Cowboys are plenty talented despite their faults and could have won both of did win yet uh sunday's game could have won the first game against the rams uh but i thought the rams have looked really good against two decent teams maybe philly's not so decent but they handed it to them so credit to that for taking care of business on the road uh and i just think you can't the rams are just look better i think i don't think you can favor the bills even you know empty stadium josh allen aaron donald i don't know i like the rams so i'm going with the rams as the underdogs i think they've 
been playing really well and kind of appear to be getting back a little bit into uh a little bit into their 2018 form sort of when they went to the Super Bowl. They've uh maybe not quite that good, but definitely uh, have bounced back from what they did last year. So I'm going with the Rams. That's my final pick. I love all these picks. Also, I think Tim just a spread the love here i think tim is like five and one uh to start yeah. the season here with his picks jace has done very well uh, also so you know we're just saying guys we're just saying just tune in follow our lead and hopefully not lose money all right maybe it's time <laughs> to start gambling yeah i was gonna say now i just need to turn this into actual cash for myself <laughs> With that, let's wrap things up. I have been racking my brain. I'm going to need this last clue. Tim, give us... I keep thinking Trevor Price. It's not Trevor Price, Antonio. Stop thinking of that dude. Tim, once again, can you please go through the random Raven and per per chance tack on an extra clue at the end? Yeah, I can can try here with the extra clue. Again, it's very much the Haruki Nakamura thing of it's either going to help you and you're going to nail it or it's not going to help at all. But we'll see. Anyway, your five clues before that. Clue number one, this player played for three teams in his career, with Baltimore being his final stop, playing for the Ravens from 2013 to 2015. He started 33 games in three seasons for the Ravens. Clue number two, was drafted in the fourth round of the 2005 NFL Draft out of Virginia. Clue number three, not that this, I think you guys are right in the right area, but maybe for the listener, this defensive lineman finished his career with 354 tackles, 22 and a half sacks, Five forced fumbles. He also batted down 19 passes in his career. He won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants, but was drafted by another NFC East team, making up the three teams he played for. And then clue number five, his number is currently being worn by Matt Judon. Final clue here, he always wore a super cool face mask. Always had one of those, and I believe it was because of an eye injury early in his career. Always had... Like kind of the late Terrell Suggs, where they they had they had it, then they banned it for a while, then they brought him back. Where he just had bars and bars and bars on his face mask. And as a teenage kid, I loved that about this particular player. I cannot believe that helped. That did it, Tim. It's the visual. It's the visual that it creates. There it is. My goodness, did not think this guy had that type of productivity. I'm like 80% there. Jace is still rubbing his, rubbing yeah, his forehead. Yeah, you're going to have to go with this one, Antonio, because I am just drawing blanks. 350 there, tackles and 22 sacks. Is this... It's the Giants clue and then the the face mask that's doing it for me. Is this Chris Canty? This is Chris Canty. Oh, Correct. Wow. He popped up on my Twitter timeline and I went, wait... He was talking about another game, I think. And it was like, wait a minute. Because Chris Canty was one of these guys that I played all the Maddens when I was a kid. I always loved Chris Canty, maybe because I just loved guys that wore visors and had (laughs) cool face masks, and he was a big, intimidating defensive lineman. And it was another one of those guys when the Ravens signed him. I was like, oh, sweet, the Ravens. And, like, obviously he was kind of towards the tail end of his career there. But Chris Canty played for the Baltimore Ravens from 2013. three seasons? Three seasons. (laughs) That's that's the part that's throwing me for a loop. He was there, and he started 33 games in three years. Like, that's not insignificant. Tim, do you have yeah. the, the – how many games did he play? Because that's, like, would be missing almost a full season. But, it, I mean, that was just as a starter. Do you have his total yeah, games so, in those three Well, years? yeah, so he played – he was – he never played full 16. In 2013, he played 15, started 13 of those. In 2014, he played 11 games, started all 11. And then in 2015, he played in nine games, starting all of them. Because I was going to say – 
if my first memory of Chris Canty is, was he hurt that week? 22 yeah. sacks and 300. I take it back, Chris. I apologize. 350 tackles, 22 sacks. I, I love it. Love it. I I never would have landed on him. I have, like, no recollection of him. We've talked about this, but 2013 to 2018 is the dark ages of modern Ravens Yes, football. for sure. <laughs> and I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of... Uh, players from this era i've had one on the back burner from i believe 2014 uh, <laughs> to, to toss into the mix but chris canny wow that is yeah good call antonio i never would have gotten that one tim that is a random raven but like a dude a guy who played multiple games that's a great a great selection there all right guys we've gone along we got to wrap this up it's it's chiefs week so forgive us for going a bit long here but we're jacked up it's a monday night game it'll be i'm gonna be excited it's gonna drive me crazy that there's no ravens chiefs on sunday that i have to wait an extra extra day to to get that game and with that a little program note here with that game being monday night we're gonna record tuesday so that episode will come out for you wednesday morning and we're gonna come in just firing on all cylinders with the ravens beating the chiefs by exactly three points so that all of our predictions are right here but for tim horsey and jace evans i am antonio barbera This is Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next Wednesday. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.